you know, you spend too much time basking in what's done. You know, somebody else is already preparing, you know. I mean, TCU played the early game, so they got a jump already on us for next week. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Monday, October 3rd. We hope that you're enjoying the show wherever it is you're getting the show. That's on the Apple Podcast or on Spotify Podcast or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel. We're very, very appreciative of all of you so far that have been with us in all those different locations, especially on the ESPN YouTube channel, man. Our numbers are going up and up and up. The word of mouth is helping and we really appreciate the help that you've given us by telling your friends and making sure that you're watching or listening to Always College Football every single day. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We have a great show in store for you today. The game plan is simple. It's the same way it is every single Monday. We're going to talk about all the biggest games of the weekend, talk a little bit about Bama, talk a little bit about Michigan, talk about the disappointment of a handful of teams, shocking losses, if you will, and in some cases, shocking the way they looked in the loss. Plus, is Kansas the epicenter of college football? Of course. I mean, why wouldn't we discuss that? Game day is heading to Lawrence this week, and Kansas State is very much for real. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip, sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckridge Smoked Sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, let's kick it off. All right, a lot of things we need to get to and a lot of performances that need to be commended, okay? Let's start with the Clemson Tigers. They had one of the biggest wins of the weekend, beating top 10 NC State in what I thought was really dominant fashion. Now, there were moments in which it felt like NC State might get things going. For instance, I mean, if you look at the drive towards the end of the first quarter, I mean, some of the throws that Leary was making early on, I mean, standing in the face of pressure and delivering accurate throws, it's like, oh boy, here we go. We're going to have another thriller there involving the Clemson Tigers, but it wasn't to be. This was a really good look. I thought from start to finish in a lot of ways against a quality team, by the way, I still like NC State. I mean, I'm coming away from this game feeling like, hey, NC State's pretty good. It's just I think Clemson right now is about what we thought they might be in the preseason. This team is legit. Defensively, we know they're very good. All right. We know that this is a group, especially along the front, that can really attack the opposing quarterback. I mean, even when Devin Leary had clean pockets, the coverage on the back end so much better than it was the week before. I'm not sure what they did to the secondary or how they coached those guys up this week, but even some of the completions in the second half of this football game, even some of the completions that NC State had, they were hotly contested. I mean, in some cases, it looked like Clemson was going to intercept it. it go through his hands and then boom, right into the hands of the NC State wide receivers. All right, let's talk a little bit 
about where Clemson goes from here. All right. Well, we know there were a couple things that, that kind of aided Clemson pulling away from NC State. The running into the kicker was massive. You had the pass interference on third and two that extended the drive. And really, if, if you look throughout the course of the game, I mean, there were a lot of points left on the field kind of by both teams in some cases. But I did feel like there was a huge swing there at the end of the half. NC State goes down. They do a great job of stealing some points of their own. About two minutes or so left in the half. Are you thinking, hey, there's too much time for DJ and company? Well, that, that's what I was kind of thinking. <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure either. Instead, they kind of lean on Will Shipley. A couple big runs by him. Then you, of course, have the throw to Shipley down the left sideline. DJ finishes it off a play or two later on the extension over the goal line. That was a beautiful response to some serious adversity, and that showed kind of the mental toughness of the Clemson Tigers. Then there in the second half of the football game, it started to become more and more about Clemson. thought they really took control there in the second half. The defensive line was relentless. I thought the coverage, for the most part, was really, really good. I love very much how Clemson's offense is really featuring their playmakers. I love how Brinningstool is starting to become a huge factor in the offense as well. For the second consecutive week, they were involving him in the passing game. And DJ Uyunglele, lots been made about his lost weight and his capabilities of being a dual-threat quarterback. thought he'd showed that really probably three or four, maybe five or six times throughout the course of the game, evading would-be tacklers, being strong in the pocket, being strong as a runner, not allowing the first guy to bring him down, and being able to create a little bit on his own. So I thought it was a really good performance from the Clemson Tigers, one of the performances of the weekends. It was far from flawless, far from flawless. But in a day, and a game, and a week, which some teams just didn't quite live up to the billing against competition, Clemson did. They took care of home field. They avenged the loss from last year. And they are, at least at this point, I think the clear-cut favorites in the ACC to, re well, not repeat, but kind of retain their crown, get back to the top of the mountain there in the ACC. So very impressed with what I've seen from them so far and feel like they're really starting to hit their stride and need to and will get better because Clemson always seems to. They always seem to get better in October and November. Look out, the Tigers appear to be for real. Let's go next to another team that I think really impressed me yesterday. This was the Michigan Wolverines. All right. We know that Blake Corum's the real deal. It's really nice to have Edwards back as well. The defense. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. I'm having a difficult time, probably like much of you, many of you, or however you say it. Sorry, y'all. I'm, I'm worn out. <laughs> but many of you are probably looking at this defense and thinking, hey, this is a, this is a, pretty good group, right? I mean, I feel pretty good about them. See, I, I think that, I, I hope that, I'm not 100% convinced at this point, though, they're as dominant as last year, because I thought last week against Maryland, against a team that had a pulse offensively, they left a little to be desired, especially in their run defense, and I thought they gave up some plays in the passing game that were a little bit disappointing. So I'm having a difficult time looking at this week's performance for Michigan's defense. Was that an improved defensive effort? I thought in some ways it was, but I'm trying to figure out, was that because of Michigan's improvements or Iowa's ineptitudes? It could be a little bit of both. At this point, I'm in a reserve judgment about Michigan's defense. I'm optimistic. I think they'll be pretty good. I think they're going to get better. As time goes along, because remember, there's still a lot of young guys that are in the rotation on that side of the ball. A lot of guys that didn't have featured roles that have stepped up now 
in a lot of ways are expected to be relied upon as big time performers and big time contributors. So I'm optimistic about that side of the ball. But defensively, I still think there's a few other teams that they're going to face in the coming weeks that will learn a little bit more about them. Let's get to the offense. I do have a lot of respect for Iowa's defense. I think they are stuck in 1992 offensively, but I am very much impressed with what they do every year on the defense side of the football. I was thoroughly impressed, thoroughly impressed by what I saw from J.J. McCarthy. All right, there were a couple plays that I want you to look at. Plays that showed me all I needed to see when it comes to him being a game changer at the position in the weeks to come. The first play, I thought, was the throw with about a minute left in the first half down the left sideline. All right, this throw was like, all right, (laughs) that's legit. Because the throw that he made right down the left sideline in the hole to Anthony, okay? Go and look it up. About a minute left or so, end of half situation. Anthony gets behind the corner and over the top of the safety. You have called what a hole shot, all right? It's where the, behind the corner, safety's over the top, and the window was rather small, and the ball was in the air for a really long time. Well, McCarthy showed you just how strong his arm was in being able to thread the needle in a tight window. That was like, wow. Difficulty on that throw is about 9 out of 10. There are a couple throws that are more difficult, but not many. Okay, Difficulty, 9 out of 10. Execution, 10 out of 10. That was play number one. Play number two, I thought, was the play of the game for J.J. McCarthy. This was on third and eight with about eight minutes left in the third quarter. He avoided pressure. All right, they leave a guy unblocked because of the pressure. There's an overload to the right-hand side. The back is out immediately trying to run in the route. And normally, as a quarterback, you're going to throw a hot route. Hot route means you have to get it out of your hands quickly because there is an unblocked defender coming right in the quarterback's face because that unblocked defender is not accounted for in protection. He comes off the right-hand side. What does McCarthy do? He not only makes turns a bad play into a great play, but he actually turns a horrendous play and what could have been a deal-breaker Probably for most guys, it's either an incompletion, a sack, who knows, in a catastrophic scenario, it might even be a sack fumble or an interception. He takes what was the most likely, those are the four most likely options, and turns it into a touchdown. Not sure how he was able to get the edge, buy time, escape, and allow Edwards to kind of leak out into the back of the end zone. He throws a seed right over a defender in coverage for the touchdown to make it 19 nothing. I saw all I needed to see from this young man. I thought he was excellent throughout the course of the first half, was smart, did have a mistake or two. It was a, was not a flawless performance, but you saw in that game against a really good defense why J.J. McCarthy is your guy and why the upside of this offense might actually be a little bit higher this year than it was a year ago. Let's move to the number one or number two ranked team in the country now because of Georgia's shortcomings. More on Georgia in a minute. Let's talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Thought it was a really solid start. I know their first drive ended in an interception, but you got to tip your cap to Dwight McLaughlin. That was an unbelievable one-handed pick. They're off the deflection to be able to stymie that first drive. But think about what Alabama did against Texas on the road just a couple weeks ago. They looked lethargic. They looked like they didn't have composure. They lacked discipline. This was not the case. I thought they were really, 
good early on. And if you look at Bryce Young, he continues to be elite when it comes to facing pressure and beating pressure by getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Just look at the throw that he hit Prentice on the first touchdown. They bring pressure. He's got Prentice on a slant, hits it to the left. Prentice is out the gate. It was also nice to see, too, some of the young receivers step up for Alabama because this has been a group, and we've talked about it here on the show, this has been a group there at wide receiver that has certainly left something to be desired up to this point of the season. But here comes Isaiah Bond. Prentice is likely going to be a factor here as the season goes along. And now JoJo Earl, not a young guy, but now getting onto the field for the first time. Remember, he broke his leg in fall camp, was going to miss six to eight weeks. He's now back, maybe not at 100%, but certainly well-positioned to have a huge impact on this offense moving forward. You couple those three guys with Trayshawn Holden, who continues, I think, to play at a pretty high level. And you couple that with Jermaine Burton, the transfer from Georgia, who's likely still going to be in an alpha dog situation as the lead wide receiver now that he's moved exclusively to the outside. Feel better about the receiver core than I have at any other point this season. But the story of the game was Bryce Young and injuring that throwing shoulder. Escaping to his right, tries to get rid of it, and lands as his arm was extended, almost hitting his armpit on the turf, which puts a ton of strain on that AC joint. Now, the initial prognosis and the initial diagnosis, according to Alabama and according to the statement that's put out, I believe Nick Saban said it was going to be an AC sprain. This is manageable. This can be dealt with. However, it will be painful. You can do things to numb it. You can do things to control the inflammation. But this is not something that you can take lightly as a right-handed quarterback. I think Bryce Young will play. I think he will be effective. But as far as the downfield passing is concerned, that might be something he'll struggle with maybe for a week, two weeks, potentially even three weeks, depending on the severity of the sprain. Yes, it is a problem, a significant problem, if Bryce Young can't be the starting quarterback or for whatever reason, he can't play at the level that he's capable of playing at. We all know how great Bryce Young is. The guy has a Heisman Trophy on his mantle. But if for whatever reason he can't drive the ball down the field, then defenses can get more aggressive. And then obviously it becomes much more difficult to create explosives offensively. If for whatever reason they have to go in the direction of using Jalen Milrow, you saw just what he was capable of in the amount of time that he played against Arkansas. The guy is electric, an unbelievable runner. He's also has a big arm and can throw the ball a country mile, but obviously a little bit more erratic than what you've seen from Bryce Young. He is, however, the fastest player on the team. He is extremely dynamic. And as you can see, the offense will change slightly, slightly or significantly, depending. Of course, he's always going to have a package, but the zone read and the quarterback run game will be a huge part of what they become if, for whatever reason, Jalen Milrow is expected to serve as the starting quarterback or if he's expected to serve as the guy that's going to be handling the quarterback position for an extended period of time. So that is significant. As far as Arkansas is concerned, I wish we could get four quarters from Arkansas. We haven't really had it, at least it doesn't feel like we've had it at any point this year. Even against this South Carolina Gamecocks, which I thought was a solid performance, even against Cincinnati, which I thought was a solid performance, I have not seen four quarters from Arkansas just yet this year. Now, granted, 
playing against Alabama, difficult task. But if they would have played all four quarters the way they played in the third quarter, who knows what the outcome may be. If you ever got four quarters of Arkansas, like you got the third quarter, I mean, KJ Jefferson was running, being active. They had great catches on the perimeter. The wide receivers were stepping up. Rocket Sanders was making guys miss. The offensive line was pushing and reestablishing the line of scrimmage. Man, if we ever got four quarters of that Arkansas, they are a major problem. They also, of course, were opportunistic in creating a possession for themselves by recovering the surprise onside, and they took advantage of Alabama's mistake because of the bad snap or whatever it was there on the punt where the snap went way to the right. They, of course, cashed in a few plays later. thought a huge turning point in the game was when Arkansas got down 28-23, decided to go for two. I thought it was a mistake because at that point, they had all the momentum. You know how you give momentum back to Alabama? By getting stopped on a two-point conversion. I thought that was a big mistake. You kick it there. It's still the third quarter. You have a ton of momentum. Instead, Bama makes a play. They stop you on the two-point conversion. Then you have to kick it back to them. Jalen Milrow goes the distance. Then Gibbs goes the distance. It was a significant turning point, I thought, in the game. But anyways, I was proud of how Arkansas responded in the third quarter. I just want to see four of those back-to-back-to-back-to-back at some point in this season. As far as Bama's concerned, excellent job weathering the storm played much better on the road. That was the performance that you can expect to see from them. Third quarter, not great. But either way, I thought it was a gutsy job of bouncing back. When the game got close, they put it away with a couple big plays of their own there to start the fourth quarter. So an impressive performance from Alabama to go on the road against a quality team and get a big victory, especially in light of their quarterback getting banged up over the course of the season, we will over the course of the game. We'll keep you updated with Bryce Young. Prayers up to him because he's a special player and college football is better when he is at 100%. McRoy, real quick, Finalist. on Bryce. Real quick, on Bryce Young here, do you want to see him like have a short leash against A&M? If, they, if Alabama comes out and opens that up and it's like a three, four touchdown game, do you just pull him out and let him rest? Because the schedule is certainly not getting any easier for Bama. Well, you can't really approach it that way. I mean, they had a four-touchdown lead in the game against Arkansas. And next thing you know, you blink your eyes a couple times, and they're up five. So because of where we are at right now in college football and the explosiveness and, goodness gracious, the roller coasters that you experience over the course of the game, no lead feels safe, ever. <laughs> there was even a moment in which I was kind of stressing for Michigan because even though as inept as Iowa is offensively, they're up 20 to seven. It feels like a million to seven. And yet, sure enough, you're one or two plays away from the game being tight. So no, I don't think you can have a short lease. I think the conversation that you have with Bryce, we all know Bryce has an NFL future. We all know Bryce is going to make a lot of money playing college football. We also know that Bryce Young's going to make a lot of money playing NFL football. All right, we know that. Uh, the conversation that you have to have with him and the conversation that I would have if I were advising Bryce or if I were... Bryce's dad or his brother or whoever. If I was advising him, the question and the conversation that you have to have is one, can it get worse by me playing? That's the big thing. Because if it can, then you have to measure what's the likelihood of getting worse. And if it does get worse, what's the long-term ramifications of having an injured throwing shoulder? Okay. Those are the big issues. And Bryce is going to want to play. Shoot, man, he stayed in the game and tried to throw one over the middle against Treshawn Holden. Couldn't do it. Was kind of walking to the sideline. And he threw his helmet, went in the medical tent. So he tried to push through it right there without any issues whatsoever. But 
we're talking about a throwing shoulder and a throwing shoulder that's potentially worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That's a, that's a real possibility. So you have to be very smart about this. And this decision will obviously, you lean heavily on Nick Saban, you lean heavily on the doctors, and then you lean heavily on the people that are in your corner that want the best for you. And that's obviously your parents, your loved ones, maybe your representation, whatever it may be. So my advice to Bryce is find out, can it get worse? And then two, figure out if it does get worse, what does that mean for the long-term prognosis? And what does that mean for me in November and December when you're hoping to be chasing championships at that point? So no, I don't think you have a short leash by way of the injury, but I think that you have to figure out really before the game starts if Bryce is going to be there full time and if there's anything extra that can be done to prevent any further injury to that right shoulder. All right, finally... We're going to get into some other games as well, I might add. We're not done just yet. But of the top teams that we really wanted to get to, let's talk a little bit about Georgia. All right? This is a couple things that I learned about the Georgia Bulldogs. One, this is a flawed football team. We thought, at least in the first few weeks of the season... By the way, everyone's flawed, I might add. So I'll just start with that. This is not me knocking Georgia, okay? Everyone is flawed. Everyone. I just didn't think Georgia was. They were the only team I didn't think was. Well... Now, it's very, very apparent that there are things that they need to iron out. One, they did not play well along either line of scrimmage. That's supposed to be a dominant part of their football team. All right? Defensive line. They don't give up big plays. They don't give up runs. They don't give up guys running right up the middle of the, of the defense. And what happened time and time again? And they had a transfer from Truman State and Cody Schrader that just went right down the middle with about five minutes left there in the first half that went right down the middle. They also gave up a couple big runs to Nathaniel Pete. I mean, I am not accustomed to seeing Georgia's defense give up big runs. They got to get that thing solved and they better get that thing solved quickly because there are going to be teams that are more capable along the line of scrimmage that will try to do exactly what Missouri did throughout the course of that four-quarter ball game. That's one. Two, they got to figure out how to be more efficient when they cross the 50. Felt like as soon as they crossed the 50, man, they just couldn't get anything going. They're settling for field goals. I mean, it was a field goal-a-thon between them and Missouri. I've never seen so many dang field goals in a game. It was a field goal-a-thon. They could get across the 50, and then as soon as they get across the 50, they just, they just couldn't block, or they'd have a negative play, or they'd just have something that would disrupt the rhythm and the efficiency of the offense. That's takeaway number two. Takeaway number three, a win is a win. A lot of people are going to look at this and say, well, Georgia's got issues. Georgia's lacks maturity. Georgia came out flat. Sure. Going on the road in college football, we've talked about this with Alabama. We've talked about this with other teams that have just barely skated by. Look, some teams don't skate by. Some teams lose. All right. Finding a way to win. If the ultimate goal every single week is to win, that should be celebrated and that should be acknowledged. Georgia has things to iron out. It was not a flawless performance. The team itself has a few things they need to iron out on both sides of the ball. But ultimately, they did what they were supposed to do, and that was to win. It was ugly. It made me kind of sick to my stomach. But at the same time, credit to Missouri. Give a ton of credit to them being able to create on scramble drills and create some big plays. They'd escape the pocket, hit a guy downfield. Missouri did a lot of nice things in this ballgame. And ultimately they gave themselves a chance to potentially pull off one of the biggest upsets of the college football season. But Georgia 
would not be denied there in the fourth quarter. They found a way to get it done, and that needs to be acknowledged. It wasn't pretty, but a win is a win, especially on the road in college football. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, we just talked about a couple teams that found a way to win, all right? But there were also a few teams that did everything but win. (laughs) That would be Oklahoma, Pittsburgh, Baylor, Obviously, Baylor, Baylor, good loss, I might add. I mean, I guess if we're going to look at it that way, I mean, hey, Oklahoma State's legit. I thought Oklahoma State was excellent. We're going to talk a little bit more about Oklahoma State here in the days to come because that was one of the performances of the weekend, that's for sure. But you have Minnesota that goes down. I mean, teams that looked legit could not get it done. But the big takeaway, I think, Pittsburgh losing to Georgia Tech the week after they fired Jeff Collins. I mean, there was at one point, I remember I looked at the box score, Keaton Slovis was two of nine for eight yards. Meanwhile, Jeff Sims, on the other hand, was like two of 10 for 35 and was by far the more efficient quarterback in the game. Just an ugly game for the Pitt Panthers and a a game that really hurt, I thought, the perception of the Coastal there in the ACC, man, not good. But Georgia Tech being able to make that happen was very, very impressive. But the big thing that everyone is talking about right now is Oklahoma. What happened? What has happened to Oklahoma in the last couple of weeks? Because we were sitting here on this program talking about how dominant, how much of a clinic, how impressive the victory was to go on the road to Nebraska and leave no doubt. What's happened the last two weeks? And don't tell me, well, they're looking ahead to the Red River shootout. No, that... What? They're coming off a loss. We did actually say that, well, maybe that's going to happen. You know, maybe they're looking ahead. TCU, of course, in the process, breaking a long losing streak to the Oklahoma Sooners and doing so in resounding fashion. Now, I think TCU is really good. We've been talking about them from the preseason. think that TCU and Sonny Dykes, things had kind of grown stale a little bit with Gary Patterson. In comes Sonny Dykes has really lit a fire under this program. And I think TCU is a team that we need to be paying very close attention to. And I know for Oklahoma, look, it's a year of transition. Things are going to be challenging. You had a lot of turnover with guys leaving the program to go follow Lincoln Riley to SC. And they brought guys in. You felt pretty good about it. But if I watched that tape, and I watched it, okay? I watched the tape from the TCU game and I compared it closely to the tape of the Nebraska game. It is like night and day 
as far as the level of execution. Not even close. And I'm not sure what to chalk it up to. It's understandable against Kansas State. Look, Kansas State has kind of had their number, and you knew that game was going to be difficult. But to get, like, I'm fine with you losing a game that close. But to get your doors blown off by a team that does not have a ridiculous amount of talent. Like, the talent gap between Oklahoma and TCU is a bit of a coin flip. Oklahoma, I actually think, in some spots, has a little bit more talent. I think TCU's more talented than people are probably going to give them credit for. But to think that that game was that decisive, and I know Dylan Gabriel got hurt, and there were challenges that Oklahoma had to endure that would lead to a game getting a little bit sideways. It's understandable. But my goodness, man, they got to go back to the drawing board. Massive game coming up this weekend for the program. Massive opportunity to get back to their winning ways. If they can get a win against Texas, they could be in good shape moving forward. But my goodness, man, they got a lot of things to iron out. The downfield coverage, their inability to get after and affect the quarterback, the inconsistencies now that they've had offensively. Even when Dylan Gabriel was in the game, he is looking as human as he's ever looked with some of his inaccuracies. There's just a lot of things to iron out, man. That team is a whole heck of a lot better than what I saw on Saturday. And it was probably, if I'm if it wasn't the most disappointing performance of the season, it's certainly up there amongst some of the most disappointing performances of the season, man. I expect more from Oklahoma, and I hope we get it in the weeks to come. Which were like which loss was worse between Pittsburgh and, and Minnesota? Because frankly, on the divisions for both of them, Pittsburgh was going to run away with the coastal. Minnesota was four and zero. They ranked top ten in offensive and defense efficiency, and they lose at home to Purdue. Like inexcusable losses like this hurt conference perceptions, right? And, and so I'm just but, curious. But what you Purdue's think. a nine win football team from a year ago. Like I know Purdue lost a close one at Cuse a couple of weeks ago, but I don't know about you. And they also lost close to Penn State, who's clearly a pretty dang good football team. Like no one's played outside of the performances past weekend for Penn State, which was which was nauseating in some ways. Uh, I, I still look at Purdue, and I, and I have a ton of respect for Purdue. I think Purdue's a good football team. I think they're well coached. I think they do a good job in run defense. Uh, and I think Aiden O'Connell's a pretty good quarterback. So I don't feel like losing to Purdue is going to have a negative perception of what Minnesota is. I think Minnesota just played really poorly. They were flat offensively. They made a bunch of mistakes throughout the course of the four quarters in that football game. So, I mean, I can't look at that game and say, oh, well, clearly, you know, Minnesota's terrible. No, I just, I think they had a really off game and Purdue took full advantage. I mean, in the same sentence, you can say, well, who's the best team right now? Like, Illinois, to me, would be a team that after the dominant performance they just had, especially in the second half against Wisconsin, I mean, Illinois is playing as well as anybody. So, yeah, for every really bad performance that you might have in the Big Ten, you can also boost up a really good performance by a team in the Big Ten. So I think it's easy to kind of fall victim to the, oh, well, the Big Ten West stinks because the best team or at least what the team that we thought was the best team fell flat. No, not necessarily. It's just... Sometimes you get got. And Purdue, given their track record as the spoiler makers, fall victim to them. It's, I don't think there's anything to lose sight of. As far as Pitt is concerned, uh, it's a difficult one to wrap your head around. I, mean, I don't really know how to spin it because 
if you look at Pitt and the expectation that you had coming into the season, even though it was a losing effort, they fought valiantly against the Tennessee Volunteers, lose their quarterback in that game. I mean, if Keaton Slovis stays healthy, who knows what the outcome might be. Tennessee now finds themselves number eight in the coaches' poll. I mean, clearly, firmly established top 10 team. And yet, I mean, here we are trying to assess what the heck just happened. I mean, Georgia Tech couldn't play dead in a Western the last couple of weeks and somehow finds a way to beat the defending ACC champs. So I'm not sure what the heck happened there, but a flat performance that's difficult to justify. But man, we've seen it every single week, man. Every single week this year, you've seen performances that are just completely unjustifiable. I mean, that's the beauty of college football. I mean, it's any given Saturday. And to see a team fire their coach and then improve overnight the way Georgia Tech did is mind-blowing. Shoot, even in a losing effort, did you expect Arizona State to make life somewhat difficult for the Trojans for the better part of two and a half quarters? Because I didn't. And I thought that game was going to be sideways, absolute shellacking. I remember Arizona State had been dominated at times throughout the course of this season and had really not yet put a whole lot together offensively. Well, Emory Jones looked like a dang superstar there in the first half of that football game. And actually, there was a point in which you look at the end of the first 30 minutes of that game, it's like Arizona State's, they're out playing SC. Great as a first half, but who would have thought that? So any given Saturday, and I think this year really has kind of brought that to the forefront, maybe more than any year I can remember. Now, the COVID year was weird, and you had some unique and, and uncertain outcomes. But man, this has been probably... And I know I'm a prisoner of the moment, so I apologize for that. But this has probably been the most unpredictable college football season that I can remember. And I think a big part of that has to do with the transfer portal and the NIL. Because NIL, some guys fold because of the pressures of NIL. Some guys elevate their level because they didn't get any NIL money. You just don't know. But the portal and NIL have changed the game. And I think you are getting a less predictable product every single Saturday as a result. All right, let's get down to it. One of our favorite segments. It's a Monday staple. It's low-hanging fruit. Coobs, kick it off. All right, low-hanging fruit starting off after the weekend here. First one, Stetson Bennett hasn't thrown a touchdown in two games. And now the SEC East is wide open. Low-hanging fruit or truth? Is it fair to say truth? I Mm -hmm. think it is. Uh, now, I don't think it's because Stetson Bennett hasn't thrown a touchdown in two games. <laughs> you know, I don't think I wouldn't necessarily connect point A to point B, but we're, and, and let's, let's be very clear. This was a lackluster performance from Georgia. We explained that. We discussed that. Nothing's going to change my opinion on that. But I do think that consecutive weeks now in which they've been flat do have me with a slight bad taste in my mouth about what I've seen from Georgia. The other thing I'd say too, areas in which I'd expect them to be strong, a la along both lines of scrimmage. Now they appear to be somewhat human. Now we're going to learn all we need to learn about the Georgia Bulldogs here in the coming weeks. We're also going to learn an awful lot about who Tennessee is this week. They go on the road to LSU. We're going to find out all we want to know about Tennessee. We're also, I think, going to learn a little bit about Kentucky because if I learned anything this past weekend about Kentucky is that they had the ball in their racket 
on several different occasions. Shoot, they won the game. If not for them not getting set before the touchdown pass to Dane Key, they get called for an illegal shift or an illegal motion, whatever it was. They wipe the touchdown off the board. Next thing you know, they're on the losing end because of the fumble. I mean, they were a mess there at the end of the game, but I would actually come out of it feeling a little bit better about Kentucky, frankly, than I did maybe even going into the game. As sloppy as they were to go toe-to-toe with Ole Miss, and they played awful, and yet still almost won the game, I thought, Kentucky. So uh, I I think that, that the East is way more open today than I thought it was. Heck, I mean, I know it's against Eastern Washington, but Florida looked pretty good this weekend on Sunday too. So uh, I think that the East is definitely more open, so it's not low-hanging fruit, but it has nothing to do with the fact that Stetson Bennett hasn't thrown a touchdown in two weeks. <laughs> it's always Stetson Bennett's fault. This is always. what we so do right. now. I forgot it's about all, everything. Georgia wins a national that. championship. It's the team. Georgia loses. It's Stetson Bennett. That's correct. Team. I forgot right. about that. Okay. Or wins close. It's Stetson Bennett. You're right. I forgot right. about that. Right, right, <laughs> right. Low-hanging fruit number two. Oklahoma season is over after getting quite literally run over by TCU. Well, now they're 0-2 in the Big 12, right? Um, Their season's not over uh, because of how I think this league is going to operate. And we've been saying this now for eight weeks, 10 weeks, however long we've been doing the show. 60 episodes, 61 episodes, or however many we've done. All right? I know that the Big 12 is insanely deep to the point where you take Team 10, and Team 10 might be West Virginia. All right, you take Team 10, you're telling me West Virginia can't beat anyone in the Big 12 on any given Saturday? Because I think they can. I actually feel pretty strongly that they can. I think Texas Tech can beat anyone any given Saturday. I think Kansas can beat anyone any given Saturday. So yeah, does it feel glim right now for Oklahoma and uh, hopes and in an effort to get to the Big 12 championship game? Yeah, it feels a little glim. And they got to get hot and they got to get hot quickly. And if there's one thing we learned because of this past Saturday, we know that Oklahoma's got really big issues, especially on the defense side of the football. So those things will not get fixed or resolved overnight. But I do think that the Big 12 champion this year is going to have at least two losses. Oklahoma's got two now. Like I said, better get hot. But given how I think this league could cannibalize itself, uh, I think Oklahoma's season's still very much alive. But it starts this week, a loss to the Texas Longhorns. And yes, you can essentially, you can extinguish any hopes that Oklahoma would potentially get going and, and get going back to the path of a New Year's Six Bowl game or an outside shot of a Big 12 championship. All right, moving on to USC. USC's defense will prevent them from getting to the college football playoff because the turnover fairy is not always going to be around. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit or truth? Uh, at this point, I want to say truth. Um, but that's partly because of the respect that I have for Utah. Clearly, things starting to really work in the right direction for what the Utes are doing. Been very impressed with how Oregon has played in recent weeks. Granted, yes, it was a it was a nail biter against Washington State, but like we talked about earlier, a win is a win. A nail biter on the road, win on the road is a win on the road, and you got to give credit when credit is due. So 
uh, very impressed with those two teams. And if we're going to take it one step further, I'm extremely impressed with what I saw from UCLA on Friday night. So you look at those three teams, Utah, Oregon, UCLA. There's still an awful lot of meat on the bone for SC before we start talking about the college football playoff. Couple that with the fact that we're going to sit here and talk about their game against Notre Dame at some point as well. And no Notre Dame, hey, it's not maybe the Notre Dame team when you know they're in in the Fiesta Bowl or they're not maybe not necessarily playoff bound by any stretch of the imagination, but Notre Dame kind of found themselves against North Carolina. And what does North Carolina have? Kind of an average defense, if not below average defense. Well, what does SC have? Kind of an average defense, if not maybe a below average defense. So there's still several opponents on SC schedule that they need to be very, very careful with. So yes, if I were to say, is your question low-hanging fruit or truth? I'm going to say at this point, it's truth because there are some really good teams still that are on the schedule that SC is going to have to face in the coming weeks. All right, I want to give a special shout out to my favorite performance of the week. That's the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Unfortunately, and I'm just going to tell you this, we will break it down, I promise. I will get to it. Unfortunately, on my iPad, where I get access to coaches tape, that game is not uploaded yet. So I have a good excuse for why we're not talking about the Pokes' impressive road victory to avenge the Big 12 championship performance from last year. I understand, Poke fans, you're probably really ticked off. Well, you talked about Oklahoma. You didn't talk about Oklahoma State. I get it. I would be ticked off too. I don't have access to the tape right now. I will get it, and I will have it soon. And as soon as I do, you're going to get a comprehensive breakdown of that incredible victory by the Oklahoma State Cowboys. So you guys get extra credit. Performance of the week, all right? But I haven't had a chance to watch the tape yet. So unfortunately, I can't give you a comprehensive breakdown, but it will be coming. Keep a lookout here on Always College Football. I'll get it for you. Thank you for being with us. It's been awesome to be with you today. For all of us here at Always College Football, please like, rate, and subscribe on the ESPN YouTube channel, on the podcast. Please hit us up in our social media at AlwaysCFB, or you can hit us up on our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. So we really appreciate the interaction. It helps us out. It makes us better. We're going to continue to do more breakdowns. These shows we found on Mondays are really, really long. So we're trying to, to trim them back just a hair. By being mindful about how quickly we're moving, we're going to give you more, though. We will always give you more. That's what we do here on Always College Football. We love it. So if you haven't hit your team yet, stick with us. Check us out tomorrow because we might get to them tomorrow. For all of us at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks for being with us. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.